Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. We're recording. Yes, we're recording. And that's a different voice because Bill Sutton is not with us today. That's Brendan J. O'Reilly on the controls. And we are back again. Memorial Day weekend is coming up. And we have a lot to talk about today. And we have a couple special guests. But first, we're going to do our introduction. So again, that was Brendan J. O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan, how are you? Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. I'm Brendan. I am the deputy managing editor. And also joining us today is Joe Shaw. Hey, Joe. How are you guys doing? It's Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I am the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And joining us today are two special guests. Um, We have with us Andrew Messenger, and Andrew is our Hamptons Gardener columnist. He writes about all things gardening and growing in the paper. How are you, Andrew? Good afternoon. How are you? Good. Good to have you. How, how long how long have you been our columnist, Andrew? It's been got to be 25, over 25 years, right? Closer to 45. I was going to oh. say, you were here a long time before I was, I thought. I didn't realize it was that long. Wow. wow. We thought you were an old timer, Joe. Happy to have you. Good to be here. <laughs> and also joining us today is Ivan Roman. And Ivan is the owner and founder of Heirloom Gardens. And he's joining us from his, it looks like, backyard in East Hampton. Yeah. Hi, Ivan. Hi. How are you? Hi, Ned. Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. This will be an interesting discussion. So our topic today is one that we that you've probably heard us complain about a lot in the last couple of years, and that's the uh, the leaf blower conundrum. And a lot of municipalities out here in um, the last year or two have come up with some new regulations to limit when leaf blowers, gas-powered leaf blowers, I should say, are able to be used on people's backyards. And I guess that the big issue, it's kind of not unlike the airport, it's the noise. Is that is that pretty much an agreement? That's what a lot of people are um, had problems with? No, there's a lot of um, um, debate about the, the pollution as well, not just the noise and the, the effect that it can have on operators. Yeah. So, Brendan, do you want to jump in? I imagine you're probably pretty up on this legislation and some of the latest rulings that have come through the various villages and towns regarding the use of leaf blowers. Well, what we keep seeing between East Hampton Town, Southampton Town and all of the villages Uh, that are incorporated inside of those towns is more restrictions and more restrictions on leaf blowers. Some of them have had laws for years, but the laws were not that restrictive. You know, it might just say no leaf blowers on Sundays or no leaf blowers before 8 a.m. or after 6. But every few months, it seems, we're getting uh, new legislation coming out of a village with a further restriction. Some villages have actually had season-long bans on gas-powered leaf blowers, which means you could still use an electric-powered leaf blower um, because they're considered quieter. And of course, if there's an emergency like a hurricane and everybody needs to get out there with chainsaws and leaf blowers all at once, the village has the right to declare a state of emergency and to suspend those laws. But what we're, what we've been seeing is in the summer months, more and more restrictions on gas powered leaf blowers, the fall, not so much people still can blow their leaves in the fall. In the summer, though, we're not seeing people blow leaves, we're seeing people in the summer blowing grass clippings off their lawns or other debris that might end up on their walkways after the crews that just came to mow a lawn are cleaning up. Uh, And as Andrew mentioned, there's pollution and air quality concerns because they're uh, two-stroke engines without catalytic converters. So not only are they producing emissions themselves, they also kick up dust and fungus and animal excrement and all these things into the air that people don't want to be breathing. So Ivan, you're, you're somebody that owns a landscaping company. What's your take on the leaf blowers? Do you think that the bans are unfair or would you like to see them um, tweaked in some way that, that makes your industry a little bit easier? Or are you ready to go all battery powered leaf blowers? Well, that's a great question. I, I, think, I think the approach needs to be changed. I, you know, if, if you think about, if you got a bunch of contractors like myself in a room and you asked them, 
why'd you get into this business to begin with? They would tell you they like nature. They like to be out in the outdoors. So I think we all want the same uh, goal at the end. It's how do we get there? And I think the opposition is coming from being force-fed the change so quickly without a transition. Um, I'm, I've already invested in electrical powered equipment. Um, it does exist on a commercial level. But in order to make that transition, you have to be willing and able to make the investment into that equipment. And then from there, you know, the education involved in using it properly, because a lot of the issues that everyone's concerned about is really more because of a lack of training and education, because there's so many landscape contractors out there. And I don't believe that the blowers themselves in season are making that much noise because the time that you're using it is very limited compared to the mowers or the weed whackers. And if you research the decibel levels of all those equipments, they range from high 90s to just over 100 decibels. So that leaf blower that you're using at the last part of uh, a service on a maintenance property is maybe five, 10 minutes, whereas the mower is going for, depending on the size of the property, anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour. That's created more noise. But I do think, Ivan, there's a difference in that the, uh, the sound of mowers is something I think we're used to in the summer and fall and spring, you know, pretty much three seasons of the year. But the, the sound of the gas powered blowers in particular is very different. It's a, it's a, it's a higher decibel sound. It travels farther. It's, I believe it's at a frequency that's, that, that makes it a little bit more um, difficult as, as a, as a noise nuisance. Um, I think that's the, the thing, even, even when people are only using them for brief periods of time, um, you know, it, it, it's such an intense sound. Uh, and by the way, I'm not so sure the battery powered blowers are significantly quieter. Do you, are, do you think they are? They, they are. It's just a different sound. I, I agree with you. The, the gas powered two cycle blowers and equipment are obnoxious. They, they're obnoxious, but it, it comes down to also how they're being used. And that's yeah. where the education comes in and the training, which doesn't really exist. Well, I, for example, I'll just tell you, I feel like the, the people that live next door to me, maybe, I don't know if they've hired a company that maybe feels obligated to come every week and do something. Maybe they're on a contract or something, but they are blowing for a really long time. And I don't know if it's just, you know, I don't know if it's an appearance like, oh, well, this guy's paying us X thousands of dollars for the summer. So we have to go do something. I, I sometimes, cause I've, they've been there like when there's literally not a leaf left you know in the time of year where there should be nothing to blow yet i'm like are you kidding me <laughs> so so i don't know if i'm just being oversensitive um or if they really you know if, if they're feeling like they're they need to appear to be doing some something on the property but that's just my i think zoning has a lot to do with this also because in the villages where you have smaller properties and you have landscapers going from property to property to property the noise can be almost continuous but as you get outside of the villages and the hamlets into the larger properties, people may not hear it at all. And most of the complaints that I hear are from people in villages who just say it is constant. Well, interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah. So the smaller properties, everybody's hiring someone to come do their, their yard. So instead of hearing exactly. it just once, you're hearing almost like a cacophony of... Right. And they may do every other house, they may do every fifth house but you're yeah. still going to hear it. That's interesting. So what's your take, Andrew? How, what, where do you come down on um, on the issue of leaf blowers and gas-powered ones versus electric? Um, I have one. I haven't used it in several years because I have a uh, an electric one that I really like because I can get with an extension cord within just about all of the property. Um, the other thing I like about it is that you can reverse it and it turns into a mulcher. So you blow all of your leaves into a pile you reverse it and everything comes out backwards as a very fine mulch that can go right back into the garden. I'm a little bit different in that I like to put my leaves into the garden and not send them out to be commercially composted. Um, and, and I think that's one of the problems in, in, in the Hamptons is that everybody is of the impression that things need to be spotless. Um, well, I'm not sure and I'm not convinced. We left leaves in one of our beds this year um, and didn't move them at all. 
And right now it looks great. It looks like the bed has been mulched and the plants are incredibly happy. And I'm looking at the bed next to it where there's just ground and no mulch and the weeds are just coming up every day. Wow. So Ivan, do you do you have a, a, a way to maybe recycle some of the of what your crews are collecting and, and use it in that same way on um, on beds? Well, you would have to have a lot of space to process that much mm. leaves. And that's part of the problem is it's becoming harder and more difficult to find commercial space out here just to park, much less yard space, nursery space that allow you to do that. And Andrew's 100 percent correct. I mean, shredded leaf mulch is great for the beds, but not so much for your lawn. And that's where most of the pickup is happening. And, you know, also most of our clients have very ornate garden beds. So we put mulch down, but we're using mulch that's already been recycled and turned into a viable product. Um, not, not really using leaf mulch for that. It, it comes back to another issue, and that's in how we're cutting our lawns and why we're not um, using mulching blades on all of our mowers. Um, I, the only time that I collect my grass clippings is when I need to add them to my compost pile to cook the compost pile. Um, the rest of the time, I just don't clean up the clippings. Everything, we have gator blades, and you would never know that we'd just cut. It looks fine. It looks perfect. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. But on a commercial level, we have to deal with clients that don't want to walk through. And, and don't get me wrong, we mulch a lot of our properties, especially over the summer months, because grass clippings are, you know, 90% water. So it's great to, you know, keep the water level constant on the lawn. It adds a little bit more fertilizer, keeps it green, keeps it shaded. But if you're around a pool area, high-end property, they don't want to walk through the grass clippings and walk back with grass clippings on their feet. So typically around those areas, we will bag during the summer months and take that away. And then the majority of the open areas, we will mulch. And, you know, I can't speak for every contractor out there, but that's our practice. Ivan, I'm curious, you said something earlier that you, you think a big part of the answer to the problem is education among landscapers. What, involving what? What what are what is the education that needs to that, that landscapers need to to get? Well, it's more training than education sure. because unfortunately our industry is very easy to get into. And more than 50% of my competition are individuals that are doing more of a side hustle than actually running a business. So it's very easy to go get used secondhand equipment from a vendor. And next thing you know, you're cutting grass. I mean, you know, we all did it at some point for our families, our father, or in the neighborhood to make a couple of extra dollars. But when you're working out in a high-end residential area, doing it on a commercial basis, it's a totally different ball game. And to go back to your question about the blower, you know, those blowers, you can adjust the volume with a trigger as to how much air is coming out. The reason that you're hearing so much of that obnoxious sounds because guys go from zero to a hundred percent with that blower without consideration of what they're actually doing, because you're right. That sound that Annette was talking about, that was annoying her from her neighbor. That's just the sound that equates to, Hey, I'm doing something. Right. That's what I was <laughs> I think that's exactly it. No, you're absolutely right. It's absolutely. <laughs> is that one of the pieces of training is you don't have to run it full. But I mean, I'm, I'm curious yeah. what, what kind of training are we talking about that, that you think uh, that, that might help address the problem? Well, it's the type of training that differentiates you from someone who can just put a backpack blower and blow versus knowing what, when, and where to actually use that piece of equipment on a property. So, you know, a thought that I had is get everyone together, mid-level to high, you know, higher level contractors and do something over the winter months when everyone's off season and do some training on how to use the equipment properly. Um, and that's just one of the positive ways that you can create these changes that the local villages and towns want to create with these noise pollution. The, the electric commercial versions that we use are battery powered. They're not 
We're not walking around like Andrew was just speaking about with his yard with a power cord. They're all battery powered, high capacity battery powered equipment. So their decibel level is somewhere around 20 to 30 dBs less than a traditional gas powered one. Um, last time I last podcast, I heard you guys talking about how some of the opposition from some contractors were that they needed to charge those batteries out in the field using gas powered generators. Well, that's not that's not exactly completely true. You can buy multiple batteries and swap those batteries out during the course of the day and allow yourself to be able to get through a full day. I think the challenge and the reason for the opposition is because if you're going to say to someone, you have to change by this season and not give them some other you know, option, then you're creating an immediate opposition to a problem. Whereas if they said, let's transition, here's our goal. We want to be gas power free within the next three years, let's say, for argument's sake. Now you're giving that contractor, the distributor, the manufacturer, time to transition and create a market to move that product into the contractors. And I would go as far as to say, let's give, similar to EV cars, let's give contractors a tax credit to incentivize them to make that transition and a buyback program to get all the gas-powered equipment out of the field and then give them a tax benefit to use the electrical powered equipment because it is an investment. I mean, I made a significant investment last year on that equipment and I, I'll, I'd love for you guys to see what just one mower costs and I'll send you guys those links, but that's an expense. And if you're running a viable business, you can offset the expenses, but it's still a big investment. Why, why did you make the investment either? I made the investment because philosophically, you know, and, and my business model is dedicated towards more natural organic practices. But I also did it because it differentiates me from my competition. It's promoting something that I know, similar to EV vehicles, is the future. So let's start doing it now and make that transition. Because like you guys discussed in the last podcast, the equipment is getting there, but it's not as efficient or as productive as the gas powered equipment is today. But that's not to say that you can't be as productive with the right training in using that equipment. But you have to get the manufacturers on board and the distributors, because if, if you don't make it so that there's an incentive for each one of those levels to produce the equipment, get it out into the field, get it into the hands of the contractors, you're not going to change this by just saying we're going to punish you with a fine if we catch you making noise. That's you're just creating opposition as opposed to looking for a positive resolution to the problem. Brendan, uh, Southampton Village just had this debate recently and expanded their ban, but they did sort of give a nod to what Ivan's talking about and to, to give the landscaping companies a little more time uh, to make the changeover, right? The idea is to not just drop these things on people right before the season starts and tell them whatever machinery that you have that you were intending on using this summer has to go in the trash and you have to bring something else out. I mean, obviously there's other jurisdictions that they could be using this equipment in, so it doesn't actually go in the trash. I'm being a little hyperbolic there, but um, they don't institute these things to happen overnight, right? They're, you have to get people to uh, lend them a degree of fairness and give them a transition period in order to adopt electrical equipment when their older equipment starts to die and to turn over that, um, you know, turn over. Every time your gas power leaf blower dies, invest in an electric leaf blower. Because uh, Ivan could probably speak to this. How long does a commercial leaf blower last when people are using it with that much frequency? Well, uh that all again goes back to the training, you know, and how you take care of that equipment. I mean, I've, I've had equipment last me 10 years, so that may not be a viable solution as opposed to creating what I mentioned earlier, some sort of buyback program and an incentive to get people to make that change over to the electrical equipment, which is a lot less obtrusive and obnoxious in the noise level and in the decibel levels. And what's the price difference too? 
Well, the electrical is going to be in line depending on the level of equipment you're purchasing because there's different levels of commercial equipment as well. You know, so it's it's in line dollar wise, but then you have to buy more batteries and you have to have the ability to charge those batteries overnight in order to be prepared for the next day, which a lot of contractors, they don't have the, the facilities to do that. But you're also, you're not buying premix, right? Which is the gasoline no. oil, right? No, you're not buying the oil. You're not buying gas. So there is, there is a benefit to not having to do all that, you know, but everything traditionally is, you know, petroleum based, you know, everything we use is gas powered, you know, even the fertilizers are petroleum based. So you, it is true that you are going to substantially impact, you know, the environment by switching over. That alone is a, the ecology. They've done studies where gas powered blowers actually kill off insect populations as the emissions are coming out of the back of the blower, including bees. So there's a lot of benefit to getting away from that. Not to mention, as Andrew mentioned earlier, the impact to the employee. I can't tell you how many guys I see constantly without hearing protection running around, you know, with that equipment. So on multiple levels, it's a great idea to do it. But I, I sent Annette the other night, uh, something that a client of mine forwarded me from Sagaponic, where they've made that change. And they're, you know, they passed a law in April, effectively stating that this season, they have to make the change, or we all have to make the change, no blowers between the hours of 8 and 6 p.m. Or excuse me, no, nothing outside of 8 and 6 p.m. So they're not allowing that transition. They're just saying, this is the law, abide by it. And, but I'm curious to see if anyone knows this, how they're going to enforce that law. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. So we're back again, and uh, my name is Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is... Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the Deputy Managing Editor. And I'm Joe Shaw. I am the Executive Editor. I'm Andrew Messenger, the Hampton Gardener columnist. Hi, I'm Ivan Roman, owner and founder of Heirloom Gardens. So uh, let me give Joe uh, what he was asking for, which is the Southampton Village Law that was recently adopted. Uh, one of the things that speaks to uh, you know training um, is that village landscapers will have to have a valid home improvement contractor's license. Uh, and that's just going to be the same license that's, that's issued by the town of Southampton. So if you had any business that was hoping to exclusively operate inside the village and not in the unincorporated areas of town, they still have to now get that town license. It's a little easier than having to get both a village license and a town license. That was their compromise to have a license requirement, but not make it overly burdensome. And the restrictions are gas-powered leaf blowers may only be used from March 15 to May 15, from October 15 to December 31st, so spring and fall cleanups can be completed, no earlier than 8 a.m., and no later than 6 p.m. on any weekday, no earlier than 9 a.m., and no later than 5 p.m. on Saturdays. So what you're talking about is no gas, no gas-powered leaf blowers at all between May 15 and October 15. And any Sunday at any time of year, any federal and state holiday, you can't use a gas-powered leaf blower. And by October 1st, 2024, no more gas-powered leaf blowers in the village of Southampton any time of year. So does this exclude, what about like private homeowners who they are not allowed to use them either? Or is this only apply to contractors? 
Uh, that's a good question because I know a lot of the restrictions only apply to contractors and that many of the villages adopt. Um, well, we don't we don't see a lot of people in Southampton Village uh, blowing leaves on their own lawn in summer, right? It's generally the people that do the do this are using outside contractors. I think that's the other thing. I mean, for Ivan, this has got to be a real problem for you just because, you know, you have clients all over the area and you've got to know exactly which jurisdiction you're working in and what the particular law is that day in that little backyard that you're in, right? Well, yeah. And again, uh, who's going to go out and enforce these? You know, that's the biggest. Are they going to have the village police do that in, in the height of the season? And who I read that originally they were going to start ticketing the labor force and then possibly the owners. I think they need to get, you know, if they're doing this for the right reasons, they have to do it in a way that's fair to everyone involved. Because, you know, as I was saying earlier, if I use an electric powered leaf blower, it's still pumping out 70, 80 decibels. Is the neighbor who's gonna call to complain gonna know whether I'm using an electric or gas powered? They're just gonna hear a blower. They're not going to know the difference. So now you've got, let's say, a village officer responding to a, a noise pollution call, and it turns out the guy's got an electric blower, right? Right. So mm-hmm. it it just seems like they're just trying to appease a certain group of people without really finding a viable solution to the problem, which which can easily be done if you if you you look at it positive if you come at it from a positive reinforcement as opposed to hey you can't do this and we're going to fine you or ticket you if you do andrew let me propose you've been observing this uh debate from from afar in all the different communities but let me propose to you that i feel like progress has really been made in that the debate we're having now is how to do it not whether to do it. I feel like even the landscapers, Ivan obviously is, is a responsible uh, landscaping company and, and wants to do the right thing. But I think across the industry, most of the companies now are talking about how to make the transition, not whether to make the transition. That's kind of a victory all by itself, isn't it, Andrew? It is, and I think there's also another aspect in that the manufacturers are also starting to really push their uh, battery-operated equipment as opposed to their their uh, two-cycle equipment. And you see that at trade shows where now there's almost an equal number of battery-operated blowers being shown as there are other blowers. Um, up in, in Westchester and Bedford, I've been involved in, in helping with the legislation in there. They just pass it. It's very different there because in that town, there are no villages. So the town can set one law for the entire village. And I think their latest rendition is that there is a five year period in which uh, gasoline leaf blowers will be phased out. Um, in the meantime, they cannot be used between May and late October, period. Um, I don't know how that's gonna fly. Um, there may be legal opposition to it, but there's, you know, I, I think in five years, we're gonna see very few of these two cycle gas blowers left. So I think the challenge in the next five years is in, still in education is ensuring that these smaller operators who operate two cycle leaf blowers with ruined, mufflers and don't pay attention to the mix that they're putting in their tanks are causing a lot of problems for everybody else. And I think that needs to be addressed. Um, But you're talking about anybody who can go out and buy a lawnmower and and a leaf blower and do the work. And somehow we have to make contact with them. So I'm curious, um, Ivan, have you found how how effective are the the electric powered leaf blowers that you use? Do you find that it does it take you like an extra hour on every job to use those? Or I'm just wondering if you can quantify the difference between the, the ability of, of the gas powered versus the electric or battery powered leaf blowers. Well, as far as the leaf blowers are concerned, you're just looking at a lower, you know, air volume capacity, which really only becomes an issue in the spring and the fall when you're looking to try and move huge quantities of leaves that might be wet because the wet stuff's hard to move too i'm thinking 
Exactly. And a lot of times, and I'll give you a perfect example this morning, you know, my crew showed up at the first house to take care of. And even though we coordinate the irrigation when, when we show up to mow a lawn, it was still wet from morning dew and it took longer to mow. And there was some leaf blowing that needed to happen, not for leaves, but, but just because even our commercial mowers struggle at times with dense, thick, wet grass. So you have to spend a little more time blowing in those instances with that wet grass. But during the year, the, the electric power blower is just as effective. I'm, and I'm talking about the commercial, not something that you buy you know, at Home Depot for a homeowner that's only using it once or twice a week. But the equipment, and I just sent you a link to the manufacturer that I've invested in, is, is right on par. It's all you need. You don't need something that can blow your house down. One of the things that we're forgetting is that 30 and 40 years ago, we used brooms and rakes. <laughs> I was going to say they are still available. I want to ask the question. Yes, five guys with battery powered leaf blowers, yep. five guys with rakes. <laughs> what's the difference? How long, how long does it take? How, what's the, and, I, and I'm, I'm completely serious about uh -huh. this. Is there that much of a savings of manpower time, you know, man hours put into the, to the job? I would be looking for a job at the express if, if I had to go back to rakes. Uh, he knows <laughs> yeah. how much we pay. It would, it, <laughs> <laughs> it's not probably better than a raking job, but I'm not sure. Well, I'm glad you bring that up because here's the other thing that no one's considering, right? So if you all of a sudden start instituting that time frame in a small, and Andrew can attest to this, we have a very short growing season out here, right? So we're already a seasonal business. Now you're basically telling us you have to get your work done that's so obtrusive only between the hours of eight and five, let's say. It's not possible. I mean, I have properties that my guys are at for two and a half hours doing a maintenance. So how many properties do you think I can accomplish in that short window of time during the season when it's my time to actually produce enough revenue that carries my company through the winter months and into the following season. So from a, from a business perspective, it's, it's not possible anymore because I don't even, I can't even generate enough revenue charging for a single cleanup to quantify the hundred thousand dollar truck, the $15,000 trailer, the $50,000 worth of equipment, not to mention the four guys in that truck that are showing up making more than $20 per hour each just to pull up to your property and start a cleanup. It's just not, it's not possible. I'll push back just a little bit on that though, Ivan. Um, sure. I've equated this to the debate that came up within the business community about the switch away from plastic bags. And there was a lot of conversation about that's going to be so expensive and people are going to stop going to stores locally and going to, to neighboring communities to shop. And none of that happened. And I don't believe for a second that we would have um, the absence of plastic bands and bags in stores without government taking action and having a local ban in place. This feels similar to that, that I keep hearing from the landscaping industry, give us time, we'll get there. But I don't think the landscaping industry is going to get there without some push from government. And, and we can talk about whether government needs to be a little more responsive to the needs of the businesses. There's no question. I, I, and I do think you're seeing that in most instances where the villages are pulling back a little bit and saying, we're going to give these guys time to make this transition. But there has to be, I mean, it's a carrot and a stick. There has to be a stick in, in addition to the carrot, I think. I mean, I feel like I feel like if left to your own devices, I'm not sure the industry would have made this move on its own without the pressure that you're feeling from uh, the opponents of the use of the gas powered mowers and the traction they've been getting in village halls and town halls. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. No different than EV vehicles. Right. I mean, until Tesla showed up, there wasn't any automakers except for Toyota creating an EV vehicle. All of a sudden, there's a market for it. And now every major automaker is, is putting out an EV vehicle, right? But it has to come from a position 
where instead of wanting to, you know, punish people, you need to say, let's gather a few contractors that are running legitimate businesses, have a conversation and say, this is our goal. We want to be here in one year, two years. How do we get there? Simple. Let's transition into that and let's do it positively. Let's incentivize, right? And then you can get there easily, painlessly because of those layers. It's not just the town, the people, and the contractor. Who's going to service that equipment? Who is going to actually sell that equipment? And how are you going to create enough of a demand for manufacturers or enough manufacturers to produce commercial level equipment? Because if I have to rely on something that I buy at Home Depot, I'm right back to the to the days of the rakes again, because there's no way I've got guys running around with power cords on a three acre property in Southampton. You know, it's just not feasible. I, we struggle to get it done with high end commercial equipment. So it's just a coming together and having a real conversation, because I think the end goal is we all want the same thing. It's how do we get there in a, in a fair and reasonable amount of time without having this heavy impact on everyone so quickly in, in a short period of time. Ivan, can I ask you a question about the, about the actual dates that a lot of the municipalities are coming up with? Does, does that, is that something else that, that you could see pushing back on? Like, is it, is it unreasonable to ask landscapers to not do any work on Sunday, for example? Or I'm just wondering like what your yeah. biggest objections are to the time frames that they have set out in most of these. Houses. I don't, I honestly don't have any objections because we, we try to get our work done Monday through Friday. Uh, sometimes we'll work Saturdays, but we're not making noise on Saturdays and especially in season. Most of my clients don't want to see or hear my guys on a weekend because that's when they're coming out most of the time. Right. Friday night, they're doing that parade into the Hamptons and staying until Sunday. So I push, push, push rain or shine to get our work done before then. Wow. That's kind of ironic, by the way, that, that the only quiet, the quiet time is the time when the people who are hiring the landscapers are here. <laughs> uh, the noisy time is the other time. Yeah, seriously, though, Ivan, I'm curious about this. Is there any, any trend of clients who are either asking you to, to, to do less aggressive landscaping on their properties in order to cut down on pollution and cut down on noise for the neighbors? Is there any interest in that at all? I think we have to understand the, 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 the culture of the clientele that's out here, right? Even during the financial crisis, nothing really changed out here. We live in a geographical bubble where the typical client that I service is not concerned about that. You know, they, they want to enjoy their properties and that's all they care about. So sure, they don't want us there on a Saturday morning at eight o'clock going crazy, but they're not approaching us and making those points. At least not my clients are. If I bring it up to them and let them know they're, Hey, that sounds great. Ivan, I, I really appreciate that. That sounds wonderful. Right. Cause society is taking us in that direction anyway. Right. But they're not asking me to make that change. In fact, it's been the opposite. I've had a couple of clients say to me, you know, Ivan, this is really unfair what they're doing to you. And I say, well, you're right, but only in the sense that they're demanding that it happen overnight without some form of transition, because everything that requires change, people don't like change to begin with, right? It's difficult. It's painful, but they're willing to do it for the right reason as long as you give them time to digest it and, and make the change that's not sudden like they're trying to do to us, which is, boom, we're not letting you use a blower anymore. Okay, so what if I tell you that between May 20th and September 15th, you can't drive your car because it's putting pollution in the air. From May 15th to September 15th, you have to ride your bicycle from Quag or West Hampton out to East Hampton. What kind of what kind of response you think you'll get in that, in that scenario? People are not going to like it. Right. So it's 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 the same thing. If you come at people with opposition 
you can only expect opposition in return. So have any of the municipalities been open to maybe um, doing like what um, Andrew had mentioned, it looked like they're doing in Westchester where they really are phasing it in more slowly. I just wonder if any of them have been open to discussing the idea of a more gradual phase in of this kind of thing. Is that a question for me? I don't know. I guess it's <laughs> or anybody. Brenda, do you have you heard of anything like that? <laughs> I don't know if I'm the best person for that either. Um, but me, me Southampton Village did though, right? They they changed their they changed it to 2024, and I know a lot of the opponents um, were unhappy with that. They felt like, uh, and I think we got at least one one or two letters about it that said that it was capitulating to the landscaping community that that it should have been sooner rather than that it, that there's a push on the other side that's just the opposite of what I've been saying, which is hey, we're taking too long. Let's do it faster. So. so it's not, you know, it reminds me of the, it does remind me of the airport controversy. You've got, maybe there's a few irresponsible players out there who are kind of ruining it for everybody else. Just like, you know, the helicopters are sort of ruining all the other air traffic and causing this big problem. But I wonder if there's, you know, it's like the reason that we have this problem in this new legislation is because like Ivan was saying, too many people maybe jumped into the business in an irresponsible manner um, and have sort of. Yeah, isn't that always the case, Ivan, yeah. that you have a couple of bad actors who make it hard for everybody? I mean, well, in, in this case, in my industry, you just have too many people who can get into this industry very easily. And unfortunately, that means that you have a lot of people that don't have access to the information that we're talking about. They don't know about these changes. They don't know about what's happening with the towns and the villages because they're just not aware of it, right? They're not, they're not in tune with it. All they know is they're getting into their vehicle either after work or on the weekends, running out and cutting a few lawns. And all of a sudden someone's telling them to be quiet. Well, they're not going to respond positively to that. And they just don't know any better because again, they just jumped into it as a side hustle. And they may not even be based out here, right? These might be up island type of, of, of. Well, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. I mean, every day I'm driving through the Hamptons, I see another truck that's got vinyl leathering on it that I've never even seen before. So I think I think it's it's going to it's going to take some sort of critical thinking to really make a positive change on how you present this and get it done. Whereas just saying, okay, here's a law either abide by it or not. And then if you don't, here's the consequence. I've always been a big booster and supporter of Cornell Extension. And, and every time I expect them to get involved and do something, they don't. Um, but I think this is an opportunity for them also. And I think they passed it up. I think we've just blown by them because they are in contact with, with many of these people, with the, with the landscaping associations, with gardeners, with, with real estate people, with, with um, estate people. Um, and yet there's, there's virtually nothing coming out of them on, on safety, on proper use, on training. Um, and, and that's their function, which is, and it's very unfortunate that they haven't stepped up. Sounds like we might need to do an express session on this. <laughs> or part seven, like Fast and Furious. <laughs> it was mentioned earlier that it, there's this disparity of there's the people that benefit from these lawns where they don't have to walk out and get, you know, green grass clippings stuck to their toes before they get in the pool. They're not here on the weekdays when the noise is being made. It's the year round residents that are here when the noise is being made. And then the people that only come here for the weekends are experiencing the benefits and they're not experiencing any of the noise. And as Annette said, it's like the helicopters. They fly out on their helicopters or they fly out on a jet. They get here and it doesn't occur to them that on Thursday and Friday, people were experiencing that rumble constantly. Um, because on Saturday, those flights stop because everybody's here already and they're and they reach their destination and then they leave on Sunday night or Monday morning and they don't know that it starts up again on the weekdays. I was going to 
suggests that maybe a lot of the reason this issue has come up in the last couple of years is because you did have so many of those people relocate to their summer houses and they were here all year round. And maybe they started realizing that that's what they were hearing because they used to go back on Sunday, but during the pandemic, they were out here and they're like, whoa, what's that? You know, and maybe that's, that's a great point. Part of the reason, point. Right. I mean, that's, I think, I think that's a great point. Mm-hmm. I think that's very possible. Uh, you know, it's, I'm curious. So Ivan, you're the expert here now. I mean, I, I know, I know that they blow leaves, but, but you use them for other stuff too, right? Well, yeah. I mean, the guys are blowing off the walkways. They're blowing off the driveways. Um, sometimes we have to use them to blow the underside of the decks, you know, after we've mowed to get the clump grass out of there. Um, but just to get back to what Brendan said real quick, I think, I think it would be best served getting back to my whole suggestion about how you can transition this in a positive way is possibly those individuals, because let's face it, those individuals are providing most of the economy that we all benefit from, right? It's their purchases of their homes. It's their money that they spend in the community during the season that is helping support our local economy. So why not look to them to help support that transition by saying, hey, we're going to increase that tax roll by a few hundred dollars on these you know, larger properties and help fund a way to transition and educate and train the local contractors to get to this goal that we have in mind, which is fully electric and not using any gas. I mean, we could literally get to that point where there isn't a single mower, blower, weed whacker, even maybe at some point, you know, Tesla is developing trucks that we can use that are electric. And then the whole fleet is fully electric and you have considerably eliminated most of the problem from the landscape population at least, right? But why don't we use those people as the funding source to create the change that everybody wants, right? Because we can't ask the local population to do that, right? It's already, you know, you guys have had that conversation about how how expensive it is just to live out here, right? So most of the contractors are coming in from Up Island because you can't afford to live here and work here right now, to be honest. So like a surcharge that maybe could go into providing incentives for local folks, local landscaping companies to make that change with their equipment? I wouldn't call it just dedicated for that. I would say, you know, you're going to subsidize the the coffers for the town and then leave it up to the towns and the villages to use that money appropriately to fund what I'm talking about in order to get that transition happening for the contractors who are willing to make that investment. You know, if you see, I forwarded Annette a, a few minutes ago, the, the website link to the manufacturer that I use, you're talking about equipment that costs as much as a car. The typical guy that's running around out there, owner operator in a truck and a trailer, the, as we call them, the mo blow go guys, they're not investing, you know, that, that kind of money on a mower. They're going to some power equipment, finding some used piece of equipment, you know, they're buying regular pickup trucks, an old open trailer, and they're going out there and they're happy to make a few hundred dollars a day because that's all they're in it for. They're not running businesses and looking at profit margins and worrying about payroll and workman's comp like we have to. So any any major equipment capital purchases like that are an investment long term in our business. I love the Mo Blow Go guys. Now, see, we've got we've introduced that to the local lexicon now because now we'll we can we can use that going forward. No I think it sounds like a bumper sticker. I think it sounds like a T-shirt. It does even better. Down with the down with the Mo Blow Go guys. But you know what's an interesting point though that, that Ivan brings up? It's like you know you can't do any kind of house renovation out here unless you have a contractor who's licensed with the town. I mean, is that something that maybe we need to consider with landscapers as well? Is that you actually have to go through the? I mean, I know it's another layer of bureaucracy, but maybe only people who are licensed in the town should be able to work on properties. Does that seem logistic, or is that just? I agree one hundred percent that it should be that way. But again, it's in how you approach it. And if are you really, 
you know, are you going to make it so that a viable, you know, business is actually getting that license in order to operate? And then I would go as far as to say another incentive would be let the towns create a website listing that showcases all of those licensed and certified and verified contractors and give them some free marketing to promote their services and the fact that they're actually making this transition for the benefit of everyone. And now, hey, I'm incentivized. I, I can't ask for anything more. You're allowing me to have free marketing and get out my, you know, my brand to a greater audience just means I have more potential to invest in my business. I think we need to put Ivan in charge of all of this. <laughs> Happy to do it. <laughs> First come on my lawn, all right? Blows are. He's the blows are. I like blows it. Are. <laughs> the blows are. That's great. The blows are. <laughs> That's funny. I also figured maybe the other thing with the raking thing, I had an idea that you know how they have like these these fitness boot camps out here where you pay good money to be treated like you're in an army, like do the same thing with the rakes. It's like the rake boot camp, <laughs> give them a rake idea. and put them to work and then they'll pay you for the privilege. So I think that's a business model. <laughs> that's a great idea. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.